0: Well, good morning. We're glad you guys are here this morning. Let me give this to you so I don't drop that. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Today, we're going to kind of wrap up our series, Cradle to the Cross. And if you've been here for any period of time as we've journeyed through this, you've, you've discovered that as we go through Christmas season, we've not really been in any Christmas passages. But obviously, during the Christmas season at home or maybe other venues, we focus on the birth of Jesus. Obviously, the birth of Jesus is crucial for our faith. Amen? Amen. It's very crucial because the birth of Jesus is God's way of initiating a relationship with us. Knowing that we cannot achieve it on our own, he sent his only son to be born as a baby in the manger. But I wanted to remind you, and the series hopefully is reminding us, that the manger was not the end. That the plan for Jesus was always, always to go to the cross. That for the payment of sin to happen, Jesus had to die on the cross and three days later rise again. So as we've been talking these last several weeks, cradle to the cross, we've been journeying to the cross. We've talked about the journey that Jesus was on, a journey that was filled with humiliation, a journey that was filled with betrayal, a journey that was filled with rejection. And then we even looked at kind of some significant events that surrounded the cross. We talked about how darkness came over the earth as a picture that in that moment, that God was pouring out his full wrath and judgment on his only son, Jesus, who took our place. He was our substitute. We talked about uh, how the veil was torn from not bottom to top, but from top to bottom, reminding us that God says, I desire to be in relationship with you. You can't work hard enough to get to me, so I'm coming to you. That's good news, amen? That's good news. And then we talked about how at the moment, and this darkness ended, when Jesus died, when he said, it is finished, how the graves opened up and people rose from the dead. And just proving that he is God, and that he truly has conquered death hell and the grave and then we looked at the Roman centurion and his ultimate conclusion then last week we talked about one of my favorite characters around the cross that maybe we don't ever talk about very much and that's Joseph of Arimathea we know that he was a wealthy man and he's the man that Jesus laid that he was put into his tomb but what we discovered was before the cross Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus but after the cross he was a disciple that was bold and courageous in his faith. And so we've looked at all this stuff leading to the cross, and so today, where we close this series is where we adequately should close it, is I want us to look at the resurrection of Jesus and beyond. The resurrection and beyond. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28 is where I'm going to be this morning, and I'm going to ask you just for a few moments, I know you just sit down, but I think you need to stand back up. So stand up with me if you would, in honor of reading God's Word. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be reading the first 10 verses, and it says this, Now after the Sabbath, "'Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and other Mary went to see the tomb. "'And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, "'and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. "'And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. "'And for fear his guards trembled and became like dead men. "'But the angel said to the woman, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. "'He is not here, for he is risen.'" As he said, by the way, he already told you that. You should have believed it. But as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you in Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them as he said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet. And worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, "Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, that there they may see me." May God bless the reading of His word. You may be seated. Now, as we look at the resurrection, we're gonna we're gonna actually move beyond the resurrection in a moment. But I wanted to read that because when you think about the cradle and you think about the cross and the the burial and the resurrection. So things that have just been kind of flowing through my mind the last several weeks is there's some unbelievable comparisons and similarities that you see at the birth of Jesus that you also see at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. For example, at the birth of Jesus, Jesus was in a borrowed manger, right? It wasn't his. It was a borrowed manger. And when he died and was buried, where was he buried? In a borrowed tomb. At the birth of Jesus, you see the angels announcing to the shepherds, which we'll talk about tonight, the angels announcing to the shepherd that the Messiah had come. And here in this passage, in Matthew chapter 28, you see the angel announcing to Mary Magdalene and to the other Mary that he is not here, that he is risen. So both cases, an angelic declaration. And then in the story in Luke's gospel, in the birth of Jesus, it says that, that we come to bring you good news that produces great what? Joy. And here, the same thing is said, that this is good news because, and it brings you great joy. I mean, there are so many similarities between the birth of Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection. And just by the way, let me just say this, none of those are consequential. I mean, I mean in the sense of they're not coincidence. Those are things that that are just like, like, oh, that's kind of cool it happened. No, no. Those are significant. Because it's bookending from the whole beginning of his life to the death, burial, resurrection that Jesus is whom he claimed to be and that he is God. That he is the savior of the world. And from his birth to his resurrection, there are so many similarities that declare that. Now, there are two particular Similarities that I want to kind of look at just for a moment because it sets the table for where we're going today. When you look at this, the birth of Jesus and you look at the death, burial, and resurrection, there's one similarity I want to focus on. And one of those is, is a similarity of, of an invitation. And both stories, you see an invite. When you go all the way back to Luke chapter 2, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that's for all nations, for you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying where? In a manger. That was an invitation, an invitation to come and see that, hey, the the Savior of the world has shown up and you're invited to go check this thing out. You're invited to come and see. And we see the same thing here in Matthew chapter 28. The angel tells them, do not be afraid, come and see the place where he lay. In other words, this whole idea of invitation, this whole idea of coming and seeing is, listen, we want you to check this thing out for yourself. And when you check it out, here's what you're going to find out. That God is a God who always keeps his promises. Always. All the way back in Isaiah, as as Elijah read a while ago, proclaiming the birth of his son that was going to come, he kept his promises. The shepherd discovered that. And just like he promised three days later he would rise from the dead, the angel said, all right, Mary Magdalene, all right, Mary, just come and see. He's not here. He has risen. And so there's this invitation to come and see. And the second similarity I really want you to kind of pick up on is this. It's the challenge you see in both passages. In the, in the birth story, we see this unbelievable challenge <coughs> Excuse me, to go and tell. That after the, after the shepherds come and they see this Jesus in a manger, when they leave there, you can go back and read Luke chapter 2, it said they could not wait to go out and share this message. They rejoiced, they worshiped, they could not wait to go and share the message that they had seen. Now think about it. The long-awaited Messiah had shown up these jewish shepherds were longing for his coming just as the rest of all of jewish nation was and when they had experienced his birth and saw him as a baby in the manger the joy was so great they couldn't wait to tell anybody else have you ever had that kind of joy in your life that something in your life happened that was so overwhelming you could not wait to go share it with anybody else you ever had that moment in your life like when your kids were born did that happen for you Okay, maybe not you. It happened for me, right? I mean, some of you are like, they just weren't that pretty, so I didn't tell anybody. I don't know. I don't know. But the thing is that for me, that when I remember when my boys were, I couldn't wait to tell people. Because when I see, my, when I was holding my boys and, and after they were shortly born, I mean, everything in me began to swell up, and everything in me began to be overwhelmed about the miracle that God had created, the miracle that God had allowed Sonia to be a part of. And this baby is a miracle, and babies are still miracles today. Amen? And I couldn't wait to tell everybody. And so this, these shepherds couldn't wait to go tell. And you notice that twice in the passage here that I read, that first the angel, then secondly Jesus said this go and tell? And in other words, the resurrection is such a big deal, don't keep it to yourself. I want you to go and tell. So when you look at the similarities between the birth and the, the cross, burial, and resurrection, you see this invitation, come and see, and you see this challenge to go and tell, and both of them. Now, here's why that's important for us today. Now, follow me just for a moment. We've been tracking through Matthew for over for 55 weeks now, for over a year. Some of you thought we were never going to get through it. I wish we'd spent another year in it. I mean, there were some things that we could just really camp ground on. I know you're thinking, oh, Lord, thank you for getting us out of that, right? But, I mean, we've been going through this 55 weeks. And I really feel like for the last 55 weeks, most of what we've talked about has been the invitation, come and see. Come and see the heart of Jesus. Come and see the teachings of Jesus. Come and see the compassion that Jesus shows everyone. Come and see who he is. Come and see what he's about. Come and see his heartbeat. Come and see the sacrifice that he's going to make. Now, hopefully over the last 55 weeks, you've experienced that. As we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew, you've had a chance to come and see Jesus like you've never seen him before. And my prayer, I said from week one, was this. as, As we go through the Gospel of Matthew and as we truly come and see who he is, that we might fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with him. And I hope over the last year that's exactly where you find yourself. That you're more in love with Jesus than you've ever been before. That you have come and seen his goodness. You've come and seen his miracles. You've come and seen his compassion, his love. And your conclusion is, I love him more today than I did a year ago because I've come and seen all that he's done for us. But here's my conviction this morning. You ready? For the last year we've spent this whole idea of come and see. And I really feel like we've embraced that in a great way. We've seen a lot of great things. We've gone through. Many, many of you as you leave go, I've never thought about that. I've never heard that. I've never read that in the Matthew's Gospel. And so for all of us, we've had a chance to truly come and see Jesus like never before. But here's my challenge as we close this series today. That we would move from a come and see mentality to a go and tell. Are you with me on that? That we would move from a come and see the beauty, the majesty, the miracles, the love, the heartbeat, the sacrifice of Jesus. And that something in us would well up and that we would have a passion like the shepherds, like Mary Magdalene, to go and tell. See, if all we do is come and see and we don't go and tell, that's not good. Because you know why? There's a world around you. There's a world in your workplace. There's a world in your neighborhood of people who are lost and do not know, and they're seeking, and they're searching, and they're looking for something. And if no one will go tell them, how will they ever know? See, for the last year, it's all been about come see, come see, come see. Now I'm challenging you as we go from today that we would go and tell. Now, there's three aspects to going and telling that I want us to look at this morning. So, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 28 again, I want to read the first one. It's in Matthew 28, verse 19. Skip to the Great Commission because here's what Jesus says Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The first aspect of going and telling is that we are commissioned to make disciples, the commission to make disciples. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every single one of us are commissioned to make disciples. Did you know that? Now, for some of us, that scares us to death, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I mean, Doug, I mean, you, you like went to school for that. I mean, you, like, you have like a degree for that. I mean, you should be the one that does all that. Actually, no. The Bible tells us that my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the kingdom, that means it's the job of every believer to realize we've been commissioned to make disciples. Now, that word make, in the original Greek language, is not a word of coercion. For example, when you, when you got up this morning, maybe yesterday morning, and you have like a four or five-year-old, and you said, hey, pick up your toys. It's the right thing to do. And you go an hour later, and the toys, more of them are out. I don't know about you, but my kids, it seemed like more was out and less was ever put up. You with me on that one? And then what did you do as a parent? You took them by their arm, politely, kindly, unless otherwise necessary. And you took them to the room and you stood there and you made them pick up every single toy and put it in the right spot. And let's just be honest, that took way more time than we intended for it to happen, right? I mean, you're there for maybe hours at the door, but you weren't leaving because you were going to make them do the very thing. You were coercing them to do what you had commanded them to do, right? See, when it says make disciples, the word make in the Greek language is not a word of coercion. It doesn't mean that you're going to go out and you're going to force. All right, now I'm going to force you to be a disciple of Jesus. You're coming whether you like it or not. That's not what make means. It actually could be more of an idea, the translation could be more of an idea of, a, of an adequate persuasion. Here's what it means to make. You ready? It means to invest in the lives of people and to share with them the truth of Jesus for a purpose. Are you with me on that? See, I have a lot of conversations with people, and people talk about friendships, and people talk about, you know, I've got this friend, I'm trying to work on them. Listen, everybody's connected to people, and we all have different friendships. And I'm just telling you, if you've got a friend who does not know Jesus Christ, kudos to you for being their friend. But your friendship should have a clear agenda. You should have an agenda. Well, Doug, no, 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 no. I just, no, no, no. They need to see Jesus in you, but they need to hear Jesus coming out of you. Your friendship should always have an agenda. Now, once they come to Christ, that friendship shifts and it changes, but it's always about Jesus. And so when we talk about making disciples, we're not talking about a coercion. We're not talking about a coercive act of, like you made your kids. We're talking about an adequate persuasion where you invest in the lives of people and you share with them the truth about Jesus for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? That they might become a disciple. That word disciple in the language is the word "mathatuo," and it literally means to be a learner or a believer. That's what it means. So here's what we're talking about. When we're commissioned to make disciples, here's what that means. That means that we are to live our lives in such a way that we go and invest in people and we share the truth of Christ in the lives of people with the ultimate goal to see them become a follower of Jesus. That's what our goal is. In fact, Jesus is basically saying it this way, that I want you to share the good news so that people may learn about my love and their response might be that they would believe. We've all been commissioned to make disciples. Listen to what Romans chapter 10 says. Romans chapter 10 verse 17. It says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word, the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Meaning, you probably have a neighbor, you might have someone in your social club, you might have a coworker that you call your friend. And if you're going to make disciples, you have to invest and you have to share the truth about Jesus with them, and how you act, and how you live, and the decisions you make, and then even in your conversations, with the ultimate goal that they might hear, they might learn about the love of Christ, and ultimately they might respond and say yes to Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. It's not a program you take them through. All right, we're going to go through these 15 weeks, and when you're done, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. That's not what it's about. It's about believers taking up the mantle, realizing we have been commissioned, and my commission is to go and to pour into the lives of other people, to share with them the good news and the truth of Christ. And my prayer and my goal is that one day they might believe. And then if you're like, well, Doug, but there's some people, there's some people who are just resistant. Well, notice what it says at the very end of verse 19, the first part. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. Now, in context, this all nations lets us know the expanse of the gospel, that the gospel message, if you thought about it, where the gospel message originated and where it has permeated over the last 2,000 years, that is unbelievably impressive, is it not? And this idea of all nations reminds us is the expanse of the gospel, how far this thing is going to go, but it also reminds us of the expanse of God's grace, that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, for all nations. Now, here's why I say that. Here's why it's so important for us. It's a reminder to us that there is nobody, nobody beyond the reach of the grace of God. Now, we are really good at making those determinations ourselves, aren't we? We're really good at evaluating somebody's life and going, well, they're so reprobate. There's no way they're coming back to Jesus. They have rebelled so far. There's no way they're coming back. I mean, they're, Doug, they're, you don't know. Their language is, I mean, I don't know half the words that come out of their mouth. It is that bad. Well, guess what? I still believe we serve a God that can do miracles. Do you believe that? I believe that the heart that is hard and that is callous, I believe God can still break that heart. And you can't break it, but he can. And as we are commissioned to make disciples, as we are commissioned to go and to invest and share the truth of Jesus with the go that they might become a believer, that message must go to everyone. The coworker that seems unlovable, the family member that nobody wants to talk to, the neighbor that nobody will approach, the message of Christ must go to everyone. We are commissioned to make disciples. Go and tell. The second aspect of go and tell I see is found in verse 19 and 20. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, he says here, we see the instructions for making disciples. We have the commission to make disciples. Now we see the instructions to make disciples. And there's three Greek words I want you to look with me at. The first one is the word go go. Now, you already know because you're way smarter than I am, and you've been told this before, but the word go is not a command word in the Greek language here. It actually should be translated as you are going or as you've gone, meaning as you live life. So there's an assumption by Jesus as he's given this great commission to all these followers that if you really love me, as you are going, you're going to make disciples. That this is just going to be part of your life. That this is the priority for how we live life. That if we truly are following him as we go through our day, as we go through our week, as we go through our lives, as we go to the, super, the market, as we go to Walmart, God forbid that, we go to Walmart, or as we go to where, wherever you go, that as you go, you're going to be investing. You're going to be sharing the truth of Jesus with the goal that they might become a believer. It is the priority for how we are to live our lives. This is what Romans says again. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We are to go. Everybody say go. Go. Part of the instructions of, for making disciples to go. And as you go, make those disciples. The second word I want you to think about is the word he says, and baptizing them, to baptize. That word baptize is the word baptizo in the Greek language, and it literally means to be immersed. That's what it means. And for those that that really, baptism is kind of that, that first step of obedience to our Savior. So when someone comes to faith in Christ, one of the first steps of obedience they should take is baptism. Amen? It is one of the first steps. Now, Paul gives a little insight into baptism. Romans chapter 3, or Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 say this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That, we are to, that baptism is this idea that baptism is our public way of identifying with Jesus. The Old Testament, it was circumcision. That's how you knew that you were an Israelite or a Jewish person. It was a physical marking. But that is not the way in the New Testament. Baptism is the way that we tell the world, I am with him. I'm with him. I belong to him. Baptism is also the way that we say and recognize that his story... Is gonna be our story. That I'm following his footsteps. Was Jesus baptized? Was Jesus baptized? Yes. And I'm following his steps. His story of ridicule is gonna be my story of ridicule. His story of betrayal, quite possibly, will be my story of betrayal. His death, I too one day will die. But just as he was risen from the dead, one day I too. Be resurrected from the dead. Baptism is a publicly identifying that I belong to Jesus. He says, go baptize. Now, some of you are thinking immediately, you're going, okay, wait a minute, Doug. You're saying that if I if I as I'm going through my life, as if I'm investing and sharing the good news of Jesus with the hope that someone believes, and if they actually come to faith in Jesus, are you telling me that I should immediately go and baptize them? That's not what I'm saying. That'd be super cool, though, would it not? I mean, it's like the Ethiopian eunuch happened all over again. But the idea here is this is a command for the church. We baptize people when they come to faith in Christ. But here's the encouragement here, that when you are investing and in sharing with someone and they truly don't, do come to faith in Christ, they truly do believe that you need to encourage them to publicly identify with Jesus. You need to encourage them not to keep it secret like Joseph of Arimathea, that they would publicly identify with Jesus through baptism. He says, go, baptize. And the last one he says is, Teach, he says, Go, let me read it one more time. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. In other words, everything that I've poured into you, poured into them. All those teachable moments we had, poured into them. Now this is, listen, here's why the instructions are so important. Because a while ago, when I said that we're all commissioned to make disciples, you just began to sweat like nobody's business. I mean, you were like stressed to the max. You're like, oh my gosh, what, how do I do that? Well, this is how. This is the instructions. You got to go. Baptize, encourage them to publicly identify with Christ. And then you have to teach them. See, here's the problem with most of us. And this is the problem. Really, this is the indictment against the Church of America. And it's this, is that we want to see people saved. But as quickly as they get saved, we kind of go, well, great for you. And we don't. We, they drop from there. We have no pathway for them to grow in their faith. And if you really study scripture about making disciples, making disciples is not just about someone coming to faith in Christ. It's about them growing in their faith in Christ. Right? And so for our role, listen, our role is simply this. That as we are going, we're to invest and share the truth of Christ and hopes they would come to faith in Jesus. And if they do, that we would encourage them and implore them to publicly identify with Christ, and then everything that's been poured into us spiritually and biblically, we would in turn pour it into them. If you're with me on that, say I'm with you. Now, this making disciples thing just went from someone to make a decision to a lifelong journey, didn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm still becoming a disciple every day. How about you? I still need people to pour into me. How about you? See, here's the thing about this. Just seeing someone saved is not enough. At that point, then we encourage them to publicly identify with Christ, and then we encourage them, and we pour everything that we've been taught into them. Why? So that they might, too, learn what it means to live a life of obedience to Christ. That's what it means to make a disciple. Now, I want to pause here before we go to the last point, and I want to ask you this question. When you think about as you're going, sharing and investing in others with a goal to see them come to faith in Christ, how does that look like in your life? Are you really doing that? That's part of going and telling, isn't it? Let me just ask you this. If you're a follower of Jesus, has Jesus changed your life? Okay, not convinced of that one. Has Jesus changed your life? Yes. Did he save you because you couldn't save yourself? Yes. And if he's changed every, he didn't just change your life, he changed your eternity, Right? And if he changed that, shouldn't there be something within us that goes, I've got to go tell somebody. That's what it means to go and tell. To realize that we've been commissioned to make disciples. There are instructions for how to make disciples. We're to go, encourage them to publicly identify with Christ, and we're to teach them Pour everything. You say, well, Doug, I'm not equipped to teach. Listen, all I'm asking you to do is to pour into them what someone's poured into you biblically. I'm asking you to pour your opinions into them. Please don't do that. I'm not asking you to pour into them what the world says. Please don't do that. I'm asking you to simply pour into them the truth of Scripture that you've learned. Well, Doug, I haven't learned enough. Well, then you've got a journey to get on, don't you? See, my question is simply this. When we think about as we're going, we're commissioned to make disciples. How good are we doing at that? And if you're really doing good at that, you're sharing with people and you're investing in people and you're seeing people come to faith in Christ, how are you then at encouraging them to publicly identify with Christ? Baptism matters. It is letting the world know that I belong to Christ. In fact, there may be some of you here today that you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized and your thought is, well, it's just not that big of a deal. Yes, it is. To not be baptized is an act of disobedience. And so how well are we encouraging people? And then the last one is, how well are we at investing in other people, teaching them the truths that we've learned? Can can Everybody just look here just for a moment. Can we be honest? Can we all say that probably the reason we don't do that is we feel greatly inadequate? How many of you feel like overqualified to teach anybody anything? Anybody? Elijah. Okay, great. So we're all feeling adequate. But listen, can I just say this? That's just an excuse. Right? That's just an excuse. Do you remember Moses when God said, Moses, I'm calling you? And Moses gave some great excuses. I mean, if you thought about Moses' excuses, they're really not that bad. But at the end of the day, God's like, but Moses, I'm calling you, man. And if I'm calling you, what in the world makes you think I want to equip you to do the very thing that I've called you to do? Right? Listen, we have been commissioned to make disciples. Like it or not, we've been. And we've now been given the instructions to make disciples. And the last thing I want you to see, the last aspect of going and telling, is the very end of the verse. And it says this. And behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. The last thing I want you to see is the promise as we go make disciples. Here's the promise. He's present. We're not doing this thing alone. We're not doing it at our own strength. That God is with us as, we, as he has commissioned us to go make disciples. As he's instructed us how to make disciples. As we go, we need to know the truth. And here's the promise that he keeps over and over again is that he is with us. And if he is with us, he will empower us. He will gift us. He will give us all the tools we need to do the very thing that he's called us to do. Do you believe that this morning? See, when I look at this passage here and I think about it, when I think about all that we've done for the last year, it's all been about come and see. And hasn't it been great? Hasn't it been great to see Jesus in a new light? Hasn't it been great to see all of the miracles, the teachings, the interactions, the compassion, the sacrifice, the miracles? It's been great to come and see. But now it's time for us as a church to decide we are going go to go tell. We're not going to be satisfied with just being a consumer. We're now going to go be an agent and a messenger to go and tell. How do we do it? We realize we are commissioned. To invest. To share the gospel with other people. With the goal that they might come to faith. And when they do that. That we would encourage them. And that to. As we're going to publicly identify with Jesus as their savior through baptism. And that we then would continue and continue and continue. To pour to them the truth of scripture that we've learned. All through the course of our life. Now here's the question. I think. As I'm standing here, maybe there's many of you out there today, as you look at your life, you would simply say this, maybe I need to raise my level of obedience today. Maybe you're here today and you've never been baptized and you say you love Jesus. Well, listen, you need to take that card that was in your worship folder and you put your name down and say, I need to follow in Believer's Baptism. I need to publicly identify with Jesus as my Savior. And if you do that, we would love to baptize you. We'd love to celebrate that decision in your life. Maybe some of you here today, it's not about baptism. Maybe for some of you here today, it's about obeying his word. You know, we talk about this book all the time and you've been, maybe you've been reading it, maybe you've not been reading it, but at the end of the day, you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you're struggling with obedience. Maybe you need to make that right today. Say, Lord, my way is sure not working. I surrender to yours. Or maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Christ and your greatest struggle is going and telling. Man, you've got the excuses. And you can justify them. But to a holy God, they're rubbish. They matter not at all. Because if he's called us to do it, will he not equip us to get it done? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. So the question I have for you is what commitment do you make today? And will you have the courage to make it? See, my prayer is simple. My prayer is that maybe somebody's here today and you're seeking, you're looking, you're searching. My prayer is that your search is over today, that you would realize that, that you would come and see, that you would come and see all that Jesus has done for you, how much he loves you and cares for you, and that maybe today you would just say yes to him. But I pray for all the believers in the room that have spent a year and we've been coming and seeing and coming and seeing and coming and seeing that today we would leave with the conviction, it's time to go and tell. It's time to go and tell. It's time that as I'm going, to share the good news of Jesus everywhere I go. With my words, with my actions, and with my attitude, that people might see Christ in me. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Everybody stand with me if you would. Everyone standing and every every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're here today and you are seeking... I just pray that you would, that you would pause on the, on the questions for a moment and that you would just take a step. We could ask questions all day long, but that you would just take a step say, Lord, if you're willing to go to cross for me so that I can have the hope of heaven, I'm going to give this thing a shot. And if you're here today and you're seeking, would you just acknowledge that, Lord, I, you know you're a sinner? And that you surrender your life to Him today. If you do that, He will come in and He will change your life. And He will change your eternity. And would you make that decision today? And if you're a believer today, what decision do you need to make? Maybe you've not been baptized. And today, that's it. You need to write it on the card. Maybe you're struggling with obeying Him and His Word. You need to up your game. Or maybe your true struggle here today is that you are struggling going and telling. You've let all the excuses in the book keep you from it. But today, will you make a commitment? Say, Lord, as I'm going, I'm committing to make disciples. I'm committing to share and invest in people the truth of Jesus so they might hear and they might believe. And God, I'm committing that when they believe, encourage them to identify with you. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm committing that when they identify with you, to pour myself and to pour your word into their lives, that they might become a disciple of you, that they might know what it means to live a life of obedience. I'm asking you today, believers, what commitment do you need to make? If you need to come, the altar's open. And if not, my prayers that the song we're about to sing would be the anthem for how we live. 2020 God I thank you for this moment I thank you for the powerful truth of your word I can't imagine the moment when Mary Magdalene and Mary stood there and the angel declared he is not here he is risen he's alive now go and tell God we fall under that same mandate today May we be believers that are reminded of the sweetness of the moment you saved us, the sweetness of the moment you changed us. And may there be something in us that wells up, that drives us to go and tell. And not just those that are lovable or easy, but everyone we come in contact with. God, I pray today with all of my heart, starting with me, That you would remove the excuses from our lives about why we don't go and tell and that you would give us the courage and the boldness to go and to tell and to know that you are with us through that journey. We're not doing this thing alone. So God, may you move in this place. May your spirit fall fresh on us. And Lord, may we respond to how you have convicted us today. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Anybody said amen? Hey, listen, if you need to come pray, the altar is open. But if not, I don't want you just to sing the song. It's a great song. I want this to be your commitment to the Lord this morning. Lord, here I am. Send me. I'm going to go tell. Would you give me the strength? Would you give me the courage? And would you equip me to do the very thing you've called me to do? May this song be our anthem. And if you need to come pray, we're here. But if not, would you sing? Would you celebrate? And would you declare your commitment to him today as the Lord leads you?